This is the Aurelius Podcast, episode 54 with Mary Formonic. I'm Zach Naylor, co-founder at Aurelius and your host for the podcast, where we discuss all things UX, research, and product. In this episode, we have Mary Formonic. She's a senior UX designer and viral TikTok personality on the topics of UX principles and best practices. Mary and I talked about TikTok and UX, dark patterns in design, and how they get applied in products and services. She's got a background in graphic design and came into the UX world where she found a particular interest in dark patterns. She's written a few popular articles in places like the New York Times where she calls out certain websites for using malicious and harmful dark pattern design practices. This was a very cool chat and deep dive on some no-no practices we can look out for in the designs we do, but also an educational lesson for me on what exactly TikTok is and how folks are learning about UX there. This podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, the powerful research repository and insights platform. Aurelius is an all-in-one space for researchers to organize and analyze data, capture insights, and share outcomes with your team. You can transcribe audio, visualize themes, capture findings, and have a report created for you automatically, which you can share with anyone in just moments. Check us out at AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. Okay, let's get to it. Hey, Mary. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Not bad. Busy start to the week already. We're recording on a Monday. Uh, not that that matters too much because people are going to listen to this the various different points and it's going to be sort of, you know, released after that, but busy start to the week. So, but can't complain. It's always good. It's always yeah. good to be busy. <laughs> Yes. I like being busy in the right ways, though, <laughs> if that makes sense. Right. And everybody has their own definition of that. Anyway, I appreciate you jumping on, taking the time to be guest on our show and kind of chat about stuff. It would be great if you could introduce yourself, talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about and stuff like that. So people can kind of get a sense for who you are if they don't already know who you are. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Mary Vermonic. I'm a senior UX designer, and I also have a TikTok that is kind of viral. It's UX with Mary where I go and I talk and talk about UX kind of principles and best practices and answer any questions that people might have and just kind of introduce the industry to people that might not know about UX. And that's pretty much the quick summary of me. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that you and I kind of chatted about before we ever actually got on the podcast. If you would have asked me, where do you find you know, UX information or people sharing content about that stuff? I think TikTok would have been the last or never an answer for me. So I, was, I was very surprised to hear that you had such a big following. And you were sharing a lot of this stuff and, and you were saying a lot of people were really, really interested about that. I mean, how, how did that yeah. happen for you? Yeah. So I was on TikTok at the beginning of the pandemic and I started seeing other people talking about their professions and what they were passionate about and teaching other people. And I found myself learning so much from TikTok. And I did a little intro video on my personal TikTok about, you know, what my major was. And a lot of people were like, what is that? I don't understand. How do I get into that? Can you tell us more? And so I decided to or dedicate an entire account to UX. And so I started UX with Mary and I just kind of went from there talking about what UX is, the basic principles. One of the more popular things that I do is review websites for uh, dark UX patterns. A lot of people didn't really understand what dark UX was. So I went into a whole deep dive into what that was. And so when I'm talking about websites that are displaying dark UX practices, then they understand why. So that's kind of the gist of what I do on there and how I got started. But I learned so much from TikTok. 
I follow so many creators that are telling me, you know, what to invest in the stock market or how to build things in my house correctly and how to file my taxes in a better way. You know, just so much information that you'd never think to find on an app that was originally really popular because of dance trends. But yeah, (laughs) exactly. And that's and I think that that's why it was so surprising for me personally. And it's because I suppose, you know, I wasn't in the target audience of the original intention for that app for sure. Right. I don't believe I dance well and I'm not interested in watching others dance well <laughs> to remind me that I'm not dancing well. Right. And so that was so fascinating for me to hear that there was like so much education kind of happening there. And a couple of things as you described that I want to dig into. But the first question I had really is, do you find that most of the following you have there are UX people or are they people interested in UX or is it or is it a mix? I mean, how would you break that down? Yeah, I'd say only maybe 15% of my followers are in the industry. And a couple of them have their own UX pages as well. But I found that I'm the only one that kind of focuses primarily on UX, which is interesting because a lot of people are just trying to get followers and likes. And that's when you start gearing towards other topics and such. So only about 15%, like I said, a lot of people are just kind of curious about the industry, but not want to get into it. And the other half of that are people that are like, how do I get into this? I have an interview next week. Can you help me out? I had someone ask me in a comment the other day, can you help me figure out stuff about UX copywriting? And, you know, I have an interview for that as well. And how do I negotiate salaries for UX copywriting? And so it's a lot of I'd say 50-50 for the most part, except for that 15%. And I'm really bad at math. But like, it's like people that are just like interested in UX and the other half are people that are trying to get into the industry. So yeah. Yeah. And really kind of runs the gamut too on what people are interested in. I mean, it's not hardcore researchers or hardcore UI type folks. It's, I mean, you mentioned UX copywriting, which is not, it's a pretty specific niche of our, yes. our part of the world, I feel like. Right. Yeah. yeah. So those are things that, you know, there's, I don't know everything. I do a lot of classes on my own. I do a lot of research and I'm constantly reading books on UX, but I get comments like that a lot. And I have to go in and do my own research to try to help my followers. And so I learn a lot too, by doing these uh, TikToks as well, having to do all the research to help them. That's really interesting. I mean, (laughs) you sound a lot like an educator to me. Like when you ask somebody why they chose a specific career path or why they do certain things. I mean, it's, it really sounds to me like, and it's awesome too, by the way, that you're getting something out of this. You're not just sharing stuff. It's like, oh, well, I get the opportunity to learn more about this to then kind of share it back out. I think that that's pretty right. Cool. Yeah. And I actually, I try to write medium articles with my TikTok so that you can go into more depth or I can go into more depth on the topic and that they can, you know, learn more about it that I can't fit in a one minute video or multiple one minute videos. And when I'm writing these articles, I feel like that's when I put in what I've learned from doing all the research. Right now, I'm doing an article on UX and empathy and why empathy is so important to having a good UX design. But I didn't even think about that topic until I started reading the comments um, underneath one of the, the TikTok videos that I posted about dark UX patterns. And people were saying, oh, like they deserve to be tricked. And I realized that if you were thinking that as a UX designer, then you're going to be making really bad products for everyone. <laughs> so That's really interesting to hear. And also perfect segue into something else I wanted to ask you about because you, yeah. you said kind of your thing and your passion is talking about dark patterns. And you do a lot of that on TikTok as well as others. 
talk to me a little bit more about that because I've actually already seen some of your articles and things like that. But you know, how did that come about, and how did dark patterns really become sort of an interest for you? Yeah, so I've always been interested in dark patterns. I didn't realize that there was dark patterns until I, I think I stumbled upon another Medium article, and I was like, I didn't know these were real. I never was taught about these in all my UX education. And then what happened, which got the whole ball rolling on TikTok with dark UX was I decided to go on Trump's website just to go give it like a general UX evaluation and see what was going on. And I found so many dark UX patterns that I felt like I needed to create a PSA to help people not get scammed. And that's what kind of blew up the dark UX kind of series on my TikTok page. After that, I started doing other evaluations on um, e-commerce and other politicians like Joe Biden and AOC. So there's a lot of differences in there. Um, It's really interesting to see what people are using dark UX patterns and just kind of bringing that out to the public. And so after doing the evaluations and doing a general overview of what dark UX is, I started doing individual videos about each of the 12 dark UX patterns. And then after that, I started getting a lot of comments from people that were like, I didn't know about this. How can I help myself? What can I do to avoid these patterns and not get tricked myself? And so I started in the videos, leaving little tricks for people that are not designing. As a UX designer, we need to know that these are dark patterns and not do them. But if you are just someone perusing the internet, you want to know how to avoid them. And that's where that 50-50 comes into play of my audience. That's really interesting. So it's not just people in UX saying, I want to learn more about that to maybe avoid it or, or call it out if somebody else is suggesting it. But hey, I'm a person who uses the internet and you've just kind of shown me something that I want to be aware of as sort of a consumer or yeah, or whatever that case may be. <laughs> take a step back too, just in the event people are listening that maybe don't know exactly what a dark pattern is. Can you kind of add your definition of what is a dark pattern in UX? So a dark pattern is like a pattern that you put into an interaction that creates a malicious result and you're doing it with a malicious intent. So you're not doing it on accident. You didn't accidentally make a checkbox automatically check to have auto paying donations every month, you knew you were doing this thing that was bad and you did it anyway. That's a dark pattern. Anything that kind of tricks the user into doing something that they don't want to do, like spamming all their friends with emails and having things in their shopping cart that they didn't expect or being stuck into a subscription that they didn't know that they couldn't get out of. Things like that, that have dark intentions and malicious outcomes is what I would describe a dark UX pattern as. Yeah, that makes sense. You're based on what you were saying. I mean, just kind of trying to resummarize what I hear too is (laughs) maybe, well, I think what you're, what you're saying is a dark pattern for you is definitely something eliciting some kind of behavior that either somebody didn't know, like they were unaware was happening or could actually be detrimental or bad for them without them opting into it. I think opting into it is probably like giving consent for something kind of sounds like what you're describing. Yeah. And I feel like that is the most common UX thing is not be or not giving your consent that it's automatically consented. And that's how the majority of these problems happen. That's really interesting. And so you mentioned, did you say 12 dark UX patterns? Or was yes. there like a list? <laughs> yes, there is. So Harry Brignall created this list 
back in, I want to say 2005. And he has a whole website with all of the descriptions and examples as well that you can look on that is really insightful. But he goes through each of the dark patterns and explains what they each do. So right now, I think I'm on number four or five on my TikTok page. So we haven't gone through all of them yet. Okay, so you're actually, you're going to do a specific piece on every single one. Yes. Interesting. (laughs) Okay, so let's go back to number one and maybe some, you know, like the ones that you've talked about already. Because you said that you reviewed a handful of sites and you talked about some of the dark patterns. What's one that you see all the time or maybe one that you already covered that you could share, you know, some more details about? Yes. This is called Roach Motel, and it's pretty much where you can't get out of a subscription or easily. So Amazon is the most known or well-known company for this. When you're trying to get out of a Prime membership, it's like going through the seven rings of hell. (laughs) And you just keep going forever and ever and ever, and you can't get out of it. And they try to give you all these incentives. And I believe it's like a 15-page opt-out process. And I did a video on it. It's not fun. But there's a lot of other people that are or companies that are doing that as well. I also pointed out Geico in that one where you go through their entire process on their website to try to cancel your membership with them. And then you end up having to call them in the very end. So you went through that whole thing for no reason. So I feel like that is the most common one that I see. And it's also the most accepted one. The other one that I see a lot is sneak in the basket where you are like consenting to doing something because it's auto selected and you think it's a terms and conditions button, but it's actually saying, oh, well, you're also buying a magazine subscription and you didn't realize it because we just gray our glaze over it. We're not really thinking about the terms and conditions because we see it everywhere. So if it's in that same section, people just ignore it. Okay, interesting. Now that first one, I think you cut out a little bit, but you were saying that one's Cockroach Motel. And it's the summary I heard from you is really just adding a bunch of friction in in the ability to cancel or end a service or subscription or something like that. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, Yeah, no, it's just like a multi, it's almost impossible to get out of a subscription. That's really interesting. Okay, so talk to me a little bit, because you said sort of the first place you did this, you started looking at at politicians' websites and you said you mentioned you went to Trump's website and that one actually kind of took off. You had an article that really got like syndicated and a lot of of attention about that. Yeah. Can you summarize that for folks? Like what you saw there and what you were, what was going on and how, you know, why, why those were dark patterns and and what you saw? Yeah. I mean, there were so many dark patterns that it, it kind of blew my mind. This really bad usability, a lot of dark psychology, because there was a lot of colors being used that really made your heart rate go up and make you have a feeling that you shouldn't be having when giving a donation. So when entering his website, and he changed it every week, or his branding team did every week, you would immediately get a pop-up. And this pop-up gave you no indication that you could get out of it. So you would have to either click the button that said, go to donate, or you would have to click somewhere around there and hope to get out because there was no visible X or close um, out of that that pop-up. And then once you got onto this page, it was just like a psychology overload. It was, the photos were dark, they were black and white. It had Trump making direct eye contact and pointing at you, which is you're kind of threatening the person when you're making direct eye contact in a photo and you're pointing and you're not smiling, that this makes people feel really uncomfortable, even if it's a photograph. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, everything, the text on top was bright red. 
in all caps. And it was pretty much threatening his base that you had to donate. And then after that, you'd go through this whole process. It was auto-selected that you were going to be donating $1,000. And then on top of that, you're going to be donating that monthly. And then after that, there was another like donation option that opted in as well. So there are three donations on top of that. And you had to really navigate that. And through all the text, it was a lot of manipulated text that was like, you have to do this or else you won't be his friend and you don't want to be his enemy. Like really manipulative text. And then I think the worst part, the auto donations really robbed a lot of people. Recently, the New York Times released an article on this exact same thing. They're a little late to the party because, you know, we posted about this and talked about this in July of last year, but they just posted it with all of the stats of the people that were actually going broke because they didn't realize they were donating so much money. They couldn't pay their rent. They couldn't buy groceries. So that's really up there on how dark it was. But the second thing that really made me cringe was that I went over the site with a screen reader and the screen reader never indicated that anything was checked. And when you hovered over the total at the bottom, it didn't say that you were donating monthly and it didn't give the full total. And so for someone that was using a screen reader, someone that's visually impaired, that's even worse. (laughs) And as a a politician, your site needs to be ADA approved. And that's one of the things that I just, I couldn't deal with at that point. I had to make a three series video mm-hmm. um, in one video just dedicated to the screen reader. That's actually very, very surprising to hear. Yeah, because in that case, that's actually illegal. Like you you can, yeah. there's legal ramifications to not being, you know, accessible under a certain level of compliance. I don't know what specifics yeah. there are for politicians particularly, but I do know as a person who builds the internet, you <laughs> yeah. know, your site has to be accessible to a certain certification. And I guess that was kind of my question is if some of those things that you hear, I mean, obviously those are unethical would be even a soft way of sort of saying that, but are there, you know, with some of these dark patterns, have you found people actually reporting this? And then have you ever found anybody talking about this as, well, we got in trouble for this or there was legal action taken. Was there ever anything like that? Yeah. So right now the Trump administration has multiple lawsuits about their website. They owe... I think the New York Times said they owed somewhere between like $50 million in refunds. And then on top of that, like, I mean, going away from just that dark UX pattern and the Trump site in general, a lot of dark UX patterns are illegal in other countries, but they're completely legal in the United States. The only thing that Trump really got away with, or not away with, but the only thing that was illegal was the ADA thing. I don't know if anyone has filed a suit about the ADA compliance. But LinkedIn had an issue. They were using a dark pattern called friend scam. And pretty much it was, you put in your email address and they got access to your entire book of emails pretty much. And they were spamming all of these people's friends, telling them that they have to join LinkedIn on a weekly basis. They went to court for that and they there was some sort of lawsuit and they got in trouble and they can't do it anymore. So that's the only dark pattern that I've really heard of having a legal action that made someone immediately stop the action. But I'm hoping as, you know, (laughs) a lot of the dark patterns are being more revealed that we can maybe have laws as well as the other countries around the world that will prevent this in the future. So, yeah, I mean, that's very surprising. It sounds like a lot of this comes down to 
personal accountability, which is not always the most reliable. I guess I would, I have a couple questions that came out of this. First of all, with some of these that you call out being that some of your audience are not necessarily designers or even people who make digital products, but rather somebody who may have experienced this. Have you ever had anybody comment on this or reach out to you and say, you know, that site you reviewed, I experienced that. I had this happen to me. Yeah. I actually had someone comment that said that his grandmother lost 5k to Trump and he had to go through all of her bank accounts and try to get it all set up. And when I got that comment, the first thing I did, because I have some Republican family members was go to all of my Republican family members and ask them if they donated. And I'm like, you can do what you want with your money, but I just want to make sure that you're not getting robbed. So <laughs> I did have a couple of comments that were saying that they or a family member had gotten into that web of lies, I guess. And just had a lot more in donations automatically taken out that they were not aware that they were giving. Right. And it's your right to go or give a donation, but it's not right to have that donation taken from you monthly without your permission. So that's where I feel like a lot of people in the comment section that are saying negative things about it don't understand. Like, you know, if you want to donate $500 to Trump, go ahead and do it. But that doesn't mean it should be every month so that they can't buy groceries. Yeah. Now, you know, I guess with that one, I'm just kind of very interested in this now. My question there, was there a way to even stop it? Could you cancel that at any point? I don't know specifically because I never gave a donation. And so I assume that they might have been getting emails where they could have clicked out of it. But I personally do not know of any link or any way that people were able to get out because I never tested that. I'm assuming since the Trump campaign committee owes so much money to all these people and it's a documented amount that within the lawsuit, it would say, or these people already asked for a refund somehow. Yeah, that's that's absolutely crazy. Getting back to the one thing that I was <laughs> sort of realizing <laughs> as you were talking about this is we don't have a whole lot of legally binding things preventing you from doing this. It kind of comes down to personal accountability. Yeah. Question I would have for you, you know, I have to believe people listening to this show, which are people in UX and product and such. What advice would you give to somebody to avoid this in a position like ours as somebody who's in UX? Yeah. Well, be really well versed on the 12 dark UX patterns, like really study them. And then from an ethical background and an empathy background, we should know that we should not be doing this. And I did do a video on how dark UX is kind of created. And usually it comes from upper management and business to try to make more money or the marketing team. And what we really have to do as a UX designer is really push back when the marketing team is saying like, oh, well, let's just, you know, send them all these emails that they don't want. We have the obligation as UX designer to be defending our users and saying, no, we are not going to be doing that. And this is why. So really, my advice is, again, study up on the 12 patterns and then really go out there and fight for the users. You know, that's our job. So we just got to extend it a little further. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the uh, things that kind of came in to my mind as you were describing this is this is a place where doing research regularly with the people you're designing for and being able to bring back actual quotes, actual data and say, this is how people are reacting to this and allowing that to be, you know, sort of seen and heard and understood by the rest of your team, that could, I mean, I would imagine that could help build that empathy in some way, but then also help get the point across that, you know, what you're doing here isn't just a matter of ticking a box and making more money. This is really affecting people's lives. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I feel like that is kind of, you know, what UX has brought into our industry of design. You know, back in the day, website design, which is making something really pretty and UX is really caring about the people and the users. And this is our responsibility as an industry to bring in more empathy and more care about our customers and uh, the people that are using what we're creating. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious too, what sort of questions do you get asked most often, given you have just such a, a sort of diverse following, you know, in the places that you are sharing content, I would yeah. be very curious to hear, you know, what sort of questions you get asked most often. And, and if, are there any similarities between people who work in the field and those who don't? Yeah. Um, people that work in the field want to know about emerging technology. They want to know about AR, VR, and XR design and how to do it correctly. People that are trying to get into it, I actually get these comments the most uh, are, how do I prepare my portfolio? How do I get into UX? I'm from this industry. How do I transition? What are the best courses to go to? What are the best books to read? Those are the majority of the comments that I get as far as content creation. I get a lot of comments from people that are not in the industry that are just very curious and they're like, or they want to know more. So they want to ask more about the series. They want to know how many more videos are coming, how many dark UX patterns there are and other interesting things about UX. The other thing that I do get a lot when I was doing the reviews on websites, I had a lot of people putting in submissions. So I had a list at one point about 50 different websites that people wanted me to go in and review. I actually had to make a different email address because a lot of these sites were really scammy. I did one for a jewelry store and they're still sending me emails and I must have unsubscribed at least 20 times. <laughs> So um, I do get a lot of suggestions on videos for reviews, but for the most part, it really depends on what the audience is asking for. So that's kind of the range. That's really funny. And I guess I should have expected that where people say, oh, do this one. I'll try this one. Is there like a most common requested one or is this kind of all over the board? I've gotten some weird ones. I've gotten a lot of sites from Florida. I've gotten a lot of politicians. I've got many requests for Ted Cruz's site. And the Florida unemployment site, which is interesting, but not really anything more consistent besides the state and politicians. Interesting. So when you do this, when you, when you are going to review a site and you're going to try to review it for any dark patterns and things like that, is there a particular process you sort of step through or, you know what I mean? Like how, like how you go about this? Is it the same every time? Yeah. So what I start to do is I really pretend like I'm a user and uh, most of these sites I've never been to anyway. So I just try to navigate the site as if I would be if I was looking for something in particular. And as I'm going through that process and then kind of being navigated by the site itself, then from there, I kind of branch out and be like, okay, what else can I do on this site until I find all the patterns? I do try to, like, usually when I make these videos, they're about 30 minutes long, but having a 30 minute video on TikTok is impossible. So I try to do a full video and upload it to my YouTube and then just take like the key points and put that on TikTok. It's kind of how that goes. Got it. Cool. Well, you work in the industry. And so yeah. aside from this, which seems like obviously just even a personal passion and hobby or side hustle, or whatever you would want to call it, how has doing this affected your work at the company you work for, like in industry? Yeah, I'm really fortunate. My current company is super supportive. They actually saw my TikToks before they hired me and they're like, oh, well, she really knows what she's talking about. So we have no doubt that she can do her job correctly. 
So that was fantastic to have that support coming into a new position. But what I do find is things that I'm working on in my day or daily life and my job, it gets me inspired to do other videos. If I'm talking to a coworker and I'm explaining why we're doing something, I'm like, oh, I should do a video on that or I should write an article on that. So that's kind of how it kind of all ties together. One sort of feeds the other. And then it's just, it's just this cycle, you know, if there's yeah. you're experiencing in your like day-to-day professional life, so to speak at your day job, quote unquote, which then make you want to share some other things, right? Right. As, uh, as a lot of other people may with articles and things like that. And then vice versa, there's things that you're learning and you're hearing from this, particularly TikTok and comments where you go, you can bring this back to your team at your quote unquote day job and say, yeah. we should probably be thinking about this. It wasn't something that we considered before. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's just one giant circle of education and knowledge. <laughs> That's kind of really cool too, that they saw your TikTok and was like, well, we like that. We want to hire you because we saw this that you were doing, you know, it was really cool. Right. Because I, I think it's a very non-traditional way of being able to show some of your credentials. Yeah, it was honestly very shocking to me. I was kind of hoping that they wouldn't find it because there was a lot of negativity about TikTok at the time. A lot of people were like, oh, you know, we can't trust this platform. My last company even sent out an email and said that if you had TikTok on your phone, you had to delete it. And so going into a company that's like, this is awesome. Keep doing it was fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like a pretty big change then from from where you were before. Yeah. I am curious, do you see, you know, as somebody who's contributing on that platform a lot, do you anticipate that the topic of UX will grow, stay the same, or decline on TikTok? I can already see it growing. I actually took a hiatus for a couple months because I moved states. And when I came back, I started getting a lot of people that were liking my content that also had UX TikTok accounts. So when I first started, there were maybe five of us. And now there's, I don't know how many, (laughs) you know, probably hundreds of UX accounts and a lot of people very interested in the topic, which is fantastic. And I really hope that it will expand our industry with that demand. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's a lot of platforms that kind of pop up and over the years, initially you would say there's, this isn't really even the place to talk about this, you know, X, Y, or Z, it doesn't matter if it's UX or anything else. And then all of a sudden it just becomes another social space and that is like common, right? And so you're already starting to see that pattern, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's certainly all new to me and uh, I appreciate being able to talk to somebody who is knee deep in it and, and seeing that happen because it's, it's really interesting to see new technologies and new spaces like this being used in a way that you didn't expect and, and, the, and have the ability to learn about that. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. And I feel like, I mean, I don't work for TikTok, but I would recommend it to anyone because I've learned so much on the platform that I never knew before. I recently just saw a video about healthy shampoo and I just threw out all my shampoo and bought new ones, but I didn't know about that before. So, you know, I'm constantly learning new things on the platform as well as I'm hoping that I'm teaching people new things as well. Yeah, it almost sounds like this interesting crowdsourcing or democratization of information and knowledge where, you know, you don't have to be this sort of controlled source and what you share will depend on who's footing the bill and that kind of thing. It's just like very, very organic. Yeah, it is. And the algorithm is fantastic. Like after a few weeks, they kind of really figure you out after what you're liking and what you are viewing constantly. And they really tailor your content in a way that you're only seeing things that you want to see. 
I kind of compare it to like a more personalized YouTube with shorter videos. And the For You page is constantly giving you new videos and new creators and new information. So you're not seeing just the people that you're following, which I think is kind of what YouTube does and what Instagram does and Facebook. So you're not stuck with those people. You are learning new things that you never thought about before. And it's being tailored to you by the algorithm that said, well, you like, you know, dog videos, you might like shampoo videos. <laughs> so interesting. I got to ask a super meta question then. Okay. And I have not been on TikTok, so I have no bias or anything with this, but I got to ask as somebody who's reviewing other sites and products for their UX and dark patterns, what do you think of TikTok's UX? I think it's great, actually. They use Fitzlaw really well. So when you're holding your phone, because it's really a phone app, all the buttons are in this kind of like L shape in the bottom. So you can easily navigate between them. And then if you really want to like get out of your comfort zone, then you have to go out of that Fitzlaw area and go to the top of the page. But besides that, it's pretty clear. They have recently added a lot of kind of ADA things based off of users that were asking for it. So now they have auto-generated captions because a lot of people were reading, or not reading, but like listening to the TikToks at night and they didn't want the volume on. And plus it's better for people that can't hear anyway. So that's been fantastic. The one thing that I'm not a big fan of is they don't label all their icons. And that's something that is one of my biggest pet peeves in any UX design. <laughs> so um, besides that, the user experience is really easy to navigate, super simple to use, and very comfortable. And you can definitely get stuck in there for a while because of it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so you do UX on TikTok. Maybe you should do a UX of TikTok <laughs> on TikTok. Maybe that's your I should, <laughs> well, you know, Mary, I really appreciate you coming on to chat about all this stuff. I've certainly learned some things that I had no idea about, particularly <laughs> TikTok and the community that's there and sort of and what people are interested in on that. But I got to be respectful of your time. One of the things I like to do is, you know, sort of towards the end of every episode, ask somebody if I were to forget everything we talked about and somebody came to you and said, well, what was that about? What was that podcast about? How would you summarize it for folks listening? Yeah, I would summarize it as TikTok is an amazing place to learn UX things. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, is there anything that you want to share with folks that we didn't get a chance to talk about today? No, not really. I mean, we went over, you know, my account and where you can get more information on Medium. So, I mean, that's it. I don't know if I plugged in my handle, but it's a UX with Mary on TikTok. So... Got it. Okay. Well, we can make sure we have a link to that on the show note where you can find this episode, of course. Although I don't know how useful that'll be for you. It's like a phone app anyway. So, you know, get yeah. check that link out, maybe go on your your phone and then you'll be able to find you'll be able to find Mary on TikTok about all the UX stuff she's talked about. Yeah. Sounds awesome. awesome. All right. Well, I just want to say thanks again for coming on and and sharing this brand new perspective with me. I, ha I have to believe that not everybody listening to our show has been on TikTok looking for UX. And so now they know that they can. <laughs> yep. Thank you for having me. Awesome. All right. We'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Aurelius, the research and insights tool that helps you analyze, search, and share all your research in one place so you can go from data to insights to action faster and easier. Check out Aurelius for yourself with a 30-day trial by going to AureliusLab.com. That's A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot if you would give us a review on iTunes to let others know what you think. 
You can catch all new episodes of the Aurelius Podcast almost anywhere you listen to podcasts, like iTunes, Spotify, and more. Stay up to date when new episodes come out by signing up for our email updates on our website.